Hey guys, so <clears throat> if you're anything like me, you get a new notebook and you're immediately paralyzed by the perfection of it. And part of what's going on is the, the recognition that it is completely unrealistic for this thing that is perfect now to remain as perfect. And all the images I have in my head of myself as being someone who can have a, even if I'm using the notebook as for a place to put to-do lists, having a to-do list that remains pristine and I check off boxes next to the task, that sort of thing, uh, is just entirely unrealistic. There's too much chaos in my day for a to-do list to remain the same from one end of the day to the next. And I think it's possible that if you lived a life that had fewer uh, interconnections with other people and their needs, like if you were by yourself and you were largely self-determining what you were doing on a given day, then your to-do list could be that neat. But I know for me, my to-do list starts out one way and then if I'm lucky, I go through the day and I get things everything done on my list. But usually I get halfway through my day and my priorities for the day have shifted or I've realized that I have way too much on my list or I've realized I have the wrong things on my list and everything gets scratched out and sort of reshifted around. So I tend to have a list that's just on a sheet of computer paper that has my list for the week. And of course, the further out I get from today, the less accurate the stuff on that list is. So it needs to get rewritten every couple of days because after two or three days, what I was expecting to do in a couple days that is now here is just, it's just no longer applicable. Either there's a whole bunch of stuff that's stacked up that I haven't gotten to or new things have cropped up on the horizon and, uh, and the most useful thing for the list for me is to have it be uh, sort of in order that I should do it for that day, right? So um, if there's something I should do in the morning, it goes first on the list. If there's something that's happening in the afternoon, it goes later down on the list. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it certainly helps. And um, so getting back to the idea of the pristine thing, the problem is that the idea in my head of <laughs> how orderly my life should be and how nice that would be, uh, neither of those stacks up to reality. My life is not orderly. I'm constantly dealing with other people's stuff. Uh, and even if I get my life to be orderly, it is a, but a brief moment in time. I just deep cleaned the house. When did I do that? Last weekend? Maybe a, maybe a week a week ago? I deep, deep cleaned the house. I took, took the day off, decided to work on a weekend day instead, and took the day and just like scoured the kitchen. Got it to a place where it's never been so clean. And it's a disaster again. Uh, but I will say that having gotten 
it to an orderly place, it will be far easier to get it back to a place that feels deeply clean again, because all of the deep places that aren't affected by the disaster are still clean. And so that's really the the thing I found, is that the more order, the more deep order I can bring to my life, the easier it is to deal with the surface stuff, because it feels like I can spend half an hour, deal with the surface stuff, and we're back to a place of deep, deep cleanliness. And the more chaotic that deep order becomes, the more dirty, gross, you know, whether we're talking about a physical thing or whether we're talking about sort of, I don't know, areas of my life that are not physical things, like administrative stuff, the more that gets sort of murky, the harder it is to achieve that feeling of order because I can get the surface to look clean, but I know that it's not deep, deep down. So, like in the in the kitchen, even back before I deep cleaned it, even when I had cleaned the surface of things, I knew that it was disgusting down under the sink, that sort of thing. And that ate at me, just in a subconscious sort of way. Now I've mastered the art of cleaning the surface at the expense of the deep clean. At our old house that we used to rent, we would sometimes see our landlord, this old guy, walking down the meadow towards our house, and we'd, I'd see him through the kitchen window, and I'd have about two or three minutes before he showed up, and I got really good at taking an apartment with, you know, two babies in it that's just chaotic and crazy, and in two minutes, sweeping things into piles and into cabinets and into drawers and into cupboards and into closets uh, so that it looked reasonable on the surface and we made a good impression. I'm, I know how to do that, but that doesn't help the deep stuff. One of my best friends, uh, he and his wife have opposite opposite cleaning approaches. She has been very good her whole life at doing essentially that, at sweeping things into drawers. And and he is very much into cleaning the drawers. And it was a real point of tension for them before they were able to articulate it and appreciate it in each other. Um, so getting back to the larger point, um, when I have the time to sort of get the, the, the deep level of cleanliness, the deep order right, then the surface stuff is fairly simple to deal with. This is sort of the principle that I feel like schools operate on, right? Schools, I'm sure, have a lot of chaos in terms of stuff out and about all day. But then, at the end of the day, there's sort of a replacement back into a place of order. And the teacher, I'm sure, does some, and the janitor does some, and sort of keeping, maintaining the deep order at a place where the surface order 
is easy to deal with. So, sometimes systems uh, help you maintain deep order, but sometimes making the systems themselves too orderly feels uh, feels like sweeping everything into the junk drawer to get a clean countertop. That to me is what a neat orderly to-do list in a notebook feels like. It's like a, it's like a fake representation of how orderly my life is so that I will feel good, except it doesn't feel good because I know it's fake. Um, and it's, and not only does it not feel good, but it is not helping the problem because it's not flexible enough to actually deal with any of the underlying problems as effectively as just a more fluid, scrappy system. So, I've been thoughtful about this with the new workspace. I tried to set it up with a deep order, and then I have fought at every step of the way to maintain that deep order, even as things came and went on the surfaces. And, and I think it's working in the sense that as long as I don't fill the space with more stuff and as long as I maintain that sort of deep order cleanliness, I can, at the end of each day, kind of sweep everything back down to the house and put it away. And I maintain the baseline state of that workspace. But it's a struggle because my girls, for all that they are wonderful at helping out, especially if I'm there to direct them, are not quite there yet uh, when it comes to saying, you need to clean up the house and having them just do it on their own, sort of thing to thing to thing. So each day that I have them uh, home, I've been trying different things. Today I told them that once they got the living room and kitchen cleaned to my satisfaction that they could have the Spotify account for the rest of the day. Normally I use the Spotify account to listen to podcasts while I'm working. So it's a big uh, concession on my part. And, and we'll see. You know, it, it is, as they get older, I'm able to ask more of them, and I think they see more of the bigger picture of what it takes to maintain that deep order. Because I think this is the thing, right? You learn it at some point. It's not, I mean, either you learn it subconsciously or you learn it deliberately. And for me... I think I learned it a little bit subconsciously and a lot deliberately when I was working on ships. And there was a like 
time devoted to both deep cleaning spaces and also standard cleaning of spaces that happens every single day. And, and you become very aware of how that order and cleanliness is necessary and beneficial. And you are required to participate in it. Because that's the thing, right? Is even if you're the biggest slob in the world, unless you are a hoarder living in your house with no one doing anything for you, then you're probably leaning harder on someone than you realize. Or someone is enabling you, however you want to look at it. That the lack of order, deep order in your life is coming at someone else's expense or the lack of ability to maintain deep order or put in effort towards deep order is coming at someone else's expense, someone else's labor, someone else's money. Um, you know, and sometimes that's fine. Sometimes that's you, but you, uh, hire a, a house cleaner and that's fantastic, man. When you get a house cleaner, we hit, we had a friend who cleaned our house every six weeks uh, for this last year. She couldn't do it, obviously, since the pandemic started, but it was amazing. She'd show up and she'd, like, deep, deep clean things. It was so great. And we did it because it was our friend and we wanted to support her and we'd love to have her back, but, um, but you gotta ask yourself, if you are not maintaining the deep order and yet things in your life are continuing, then who is? And how is it that you're not contributing to that situation? And that's what I want my girls to see, is that, you know, someone runs the laundry, someone folds and puts away the laundry, someone loads the dishwasher, someone empties the dishwasher, someone opens the chickens, someone closes the chickens, someone mows the lawn, someone waters the house plants. So, as parents, we start out our kids' lives by doing all of these things for them. And one of the hardest things to remember to do and to sort of build over time is to remember to keep adding things to our kids' responsibilities, especially if we let it go too, too long and they don't want to do it. And then they kick and stream because it feels like an imposition on their lives. You know, I think most kids sort of want to be helpful, but they also can develop a level of entitlement around they've never had to do it. And so they just, you know, it feels like this thing that they're being asked to do instead of seeing it as just part of everybody's contributing to the household. But I know for me, it's been eye-opening to realize how many things I'm still doing that the kids could be doing that I do simply because that's the pattern we've been in. They haven't been quite ready for it. Things like yesterday, Susanna, I was mowing the lawn. Susanna ran inside, put on her boots, and came back outside and asked if she could mow the lawn. And a couple of months ago, I might have said no. But this time I said, sure. And I definitely had to coach her through some stuff and I walked around right behind her the entire time. And there was sort of some stuff that I didn't feel like she was ready to do. 
but she probably mowed 60, 70% of the lawn. So she was ready to do that. And, and she was ready before, I, before it occurred to me that I should be asking her to do it. Um, likewise, I had the girls fold and put away laundry the other day, and they were totally capable of doing it. And, and, and so part of what helps with that scenario, and it's interesting that it helps kids because it's an indication that it probably helps adults as well. The kids are more the, we see it more in them, is that it's always easier to do those kinds of contributions when there is relative cleanliness in the house. The kids are much better at having a discrete task where I say, empty the dishwasher, and they know exactly where everything goes. Anything they can't reach, they just put on the counter. The counter is clean so they can put stuff on the counter. They're good at that. Give them a discrete task where everything has a place and they know what to do and and there's sort of relative cleanliness within which to work. And they're good. Um, it's the more amorphous things are out and need to be put away that they get bogged down in because they haven't learned the ninja skill of you're walking from point A to point B and you pick up three things and you kind of distribute them along your way and then as you're walking back you pick up three other things and you distribute those and you just kind of want, it looks like you're wandering around, but you're wandering around not dealing with one thing at a time, but dealing with multiple things every single time. It's that principle of a waiter or waitress who goes to take an order from a table and on the way stops by another table and asks if they need anything and picks something up for them on the way and then picks up dirty dishes from a third table on their way back. That kind of multi-level juggling of things in an environment that's fairly chaotic, that's where they're not at yet. And the interesting thing, I think where we as parents get it wrong, and it's interesting to think about how this is messing us up as adults, is that the interesting thing is that that's the thing that we as parents sort of want them to deal with first, right? We're like, clean up this stuff in a sort of random sort of way, right? They like make a disaster zone out of the living room, we're telling them to clean up the living room. And that's the hardest thing that we're asking them to do. And and they, they don't work well in that. And I think there's a couple things that can be... I mean, obviously, first of all, they need to learn that skill eventually, but it's maybe not the place to start, especially if it's frustrating for you, it's frustrating for them. The second thought I have is um, is that sometimes it's, it's the important skill for them to learn is not how to clean up everything all at the end, but how to clean up as you go along. I think I talked about this in a previous episode with, uh, where Eliza asked me how she could clean up as she's cooking, and I described the flow of that. But just developing the habit of you're done with something, put it away, right? I'm carving a knife. I'm sorry, I'm carving something with a knife. I'm done with a knife. I put it away in the toolbox where it belongs. And then I don't have to think about it. 
And then the third thing, oh, this all ties in, is having your kids have less stuff. This is something I struggle against all the time because we live close to both sets of grandparents and they're constantly bringing the girls little things here and there. And, and, and then you sort of end up with, well, where do I put this random object? Where do I put this random object? And you need to, you end up needing to do these sort of purges because the kids end up over the course of six months with twice as much stuff as they did before. And I think back in the day, 200 years ago, when kids just had far, far less, heck, even 100 years ago, when kids had far, far less, they just couldn't make the sorts of messes that they can make now because there was just less stuff for them to pull out. And this is true as adults as well. Right? This ties right back into why I don't allow there to be much stuff in my workshop. I have more tools than live in my workshop. They don't live in my workshop. If I want one of the extra tools that I have, I have to go down to the house, go to the cabinet or dresser where it lives, and pull it out. That keeps me from pulling out more than I need just on a whim, and it means that I'm not trying to store all of these unnecessary things in my primary workspace. So this idea of deep order has all of these tentacles and they start when we're kids and they tie into how we teach our kids and they tie into every aspect of our lives today, both personal and professional. But I think it's worth thinking deeply about them because it will make us happier and calmer and it will help us uh, teach our kids these skills as well if we're thoughtful about them. Thanks for listening to such a long episode, guys. Talk tomorrow.